Hey everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're gonna find two things in this feed. In this season, you're gonna find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois. And you're gonna find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're gonna find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. Everybody, thrilled that you're here at church today. I'm Luke. I'm the pastor here. That was my wife, Kristen. Uh, You made it to church. And whatever happened this week, good, bad, up, down, the days you didn't really want to get out of bed, the days you couldn't get out of bed, the days you went to sleep with hurt in your heart, the days you're like, I can't imagine a better day. Whatever happened between the last time you were here and now, you're here now. Praise the good Lord. And uh, we want to gain some yards together. We want to get something out of our time together. And the way that we're going to do that is by studying the Bible. We do that week by week. Uh, We've been in a series of messages all fall called Get Rich Quick. Uh, It's a little joke because anyone who knows anything knows that if someone's telling you you can get rich quick, they're trying to trick you or take your money. We went through the whole book of 2 Peter, and now we've got like four weeks left. And I want to take some topics that are important and helpful and useful, and I want to teach them to you. So like uh, next Sunday, we're going to talk about Halloween and evil spirits and the reality that that is something that's in the world. So we'd love for you to be here. Uh, And then I think after that, we're going to talk a little bit about... uh, we're going to talk about baptism and child dedication and all these ceremonies that different faiths and religions do and what's real and what's not real and what's biblical and what's added and this is kind of what we're doing. Today I want to talk to you uh, from one of my favorite stories in the Bible and I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, money. What I want to talk to you specifically about is this. Why do Jesus and Christians talk so much about money? That's what I want to talk to you about today. Have you ever noticed that? Like I don't know what your, your feed is like on uh, like Instagram or Facebook or wherever you're online, but I get these little like sermon clips past me all the time and these like influencer people, you know, they kind of look in the camera and they're trying to like say some pithy thing. And so much of what people want to talk to you about is how you should spend your money. And I personally, like, I don't really like that feeling. Uh, Like, I don't like when people try to get in. Okay, like, this is what I mean. Uh, Do you remember when it used to be that you were supposed to tip a waiter at a restaurant? And then it became that like anytime you go into any store or any place of any kind, they do that like, here, I'm just going to turn this thing towards you. And there's a question it wants to ask you. And you just answer the question, however, and you're like, I don't know, I just came in to buy like a soda pop. Like, why do you, why do you need to get like a dollar off of me by like pressuring me? You know how they do that thing? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Just yesterday I was here at the work day and uh, I was sent to fetch some supplies. And there was this like army of people set up by the door at the hardware store raising money for this or that. And they were like, Sir, I hope when you are on your way out after your purchase, you would consider supporting this. Look, man, I give you that look, and you're, you want to be like, listen, man, like I'm, I'm just here buying something for the church that a lot of people are doing a lot to help. Can I just buy what I'm trying to buy and not have you like jamming me to give you more? I guess is what I'm saying. Does anyone know what I'm talking about or experience that? That feeling that people are always trying to squeeze you. Uh, Jesus tells a story in the book of Luke chapter 12 that I think is helpful. I would invite you to turn there. I don't have anything useful to say to you uh, except for what we can find in the Bible together. This is Luke chapter 12. 
Luke chapter 12, and it's starting in verse 13. <clears throat> Luke chapter 12, and starting in verse 13. Uh, thanks to everybody, by the way, who prayed. Uh, I, was, I was sick this week, and I'm on that day when you're sick where my voice sounds terrible, but I feel great. You know, that's like the last day. That's the day that I'm at today. I've also been doing a lot of screaming at a lot of football games, and that's also kind of probably part of what's going on. Here it is. Uh, Jesus says, starts this way. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, this isn't maybe as out of pocket as it sounds. Uh, I think we have the scriptures for the screen here. He says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. A rabbi in the first century was often asked to settle a legal dispute. Didn't have the sort of litigious society that we probably have now. Also, there was more of a sense that the people of God, the men of God, had a wisdom to share. So it wasn't uncommon for people to say, hey, we can't like work this thing out. Can you help us? It, typically in a first century family like that, the eldest son would get a double share and everybody else an equal share of a parent's estate or inheritance, whatever they had. And we don't know if this request that this person makes is fair or wrong. We aren't told. We just know that this guy wanted an advocate, and it's interesting because he's probably, I, the way it appears, he yells out of the crowd like he's going to get his one chance to speak to Jesus Christ. The most interesting thing happening in their world at that time, and this is the thing he decides to bring up. Have you ever had that experience of like, thinking or fantasizing about what you would say if you got a chance to meet your favorite celebrity or like your favorite person. Like, you know, like if, if you were standing in line at a Starbucks and Michael Jordan was standing in front of you or, or Beyonce or whoever the person might be that's like in your mind right now. Like, do you ever have that, has this any, ever gone through your mind? Like, I wonder what I would say to that person. There's a few people nodding, everybody else is probably lying. I get it, but <laughs> this guy gets this like one chance and he yells out of the crowd, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Interesting response, very classic Jesus thing to respond to a question with a question. He says, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? It, it kind of feels like Jesus is trying to say, do you just want my help for your problem or do you actually like know who I am and like, why I'm here, because like, it sounds like Jesus is kind of saying, so wait, you have the son of God in front of you, and you're like trying to squeeze a little cash out of the deal, is kind of what it sounds like? Like, is this really the thing? He goes on to say in verse 15, Jesus says, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, is what Jesus says. Now, the interesting thing is we don't know if, like, maybe the guy did get some of his inheritance stolen, right? We don't know. Maybe his request was totally fair. Maybe his request was totally fair. Maybe it was unfair. We, that part of the story is not deemed to be a detail that we need to know. What Jesus wants us to know and what Luke, the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to know is what Jesus says. He says, take care. So what does that mean? Like, pay attention, and be on guard against covetousness. It seems like maybe he's implying, be happy with what you have, not trying to scheme your way into getting more. It feels like what he's saying. He says, your life does not consist 
in the abundance of possessions. Your life is not measured by how much stuff you are able to accumulate. Now, I can read that out loud and in a world of 2020s suburban folks, we all kind of nod along being like, oh man, he's like really on target. But Jesus was speaking this to a group of mostly poor, first century people under the oppression of a foreign ruler who most of them were farmers or small merchants who had very little at all, yet Jesus still found it significant to say, significant to say, be careful that you don't fall into the trap of thinking that life is about grabbing as much stuff for yourself as you can. I'll say it. Uh, I think the materialism, that idea that I'm measuring my life by how much stuff that I have, is probably the most easily disguised and easily accepted sin that people like us who live in the suburbs fall into. I think it's like maybe the easiest trap to fall into is thinking, I am the stuff that I have. Uh, Our world's changed a lot. After World War II, uh, consumer spending no longer just meant satisfying an indulgent material desire. The American consumer is praised as a patriotic citizen for contributing to the churning of the economic system by buying more, 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 more. I'll never forget, I remember this, vividly that after uh, 9-11, George Bush was giving speeches and press conferences, remember all that, the president, and people would say, what should we do? He would say, he said, I went and found it this week, I found it, he said, you should take your family to Disney World. Now on one hand he was saying, uh, don't let the terrorists win, keep on living your way of life. But he was also supporting this mindset that many Americans have fallen into, which is, It's a good thing to keep on spending. It's a good thing to keep on getting. It's a good thing to say more, 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 more. Now, what's interesting is as our spending as a society has gone up, we also know that people increasingly describe themselves as being less happy, less happy, less happy. This was interesting. I found this this week. In 1950, listen to this. In 1950, the average American household had 3.4 people living in it, in a house that was 980 square feet, and had on average 0.5, so like every other home had a television inside of it. So a a 983-foot house, square foot house, with four people living in it and half a TV. By 1980, that had gone to only like 2.8 people living in the average American household. The average American household had gone to 1,750 square feet, and now there was, on average, 1.57 TVs per household. Rolled forward again, 2020, we're down to 2.3 or 2.4 people per household in a house that is 2,400 square feet, and now, on average, each house has three televisions and three and a half personal screens of some kind. Somehow, what our, our not our words are saying, but what our actions are saying is less people in more space, with more screens in front of them, that's become what the American dream is. And I'm like, I mean, I'm, I was thinking about this last night as I was sitting at home and we were watching football. Uh, we have this thing on my, they have this thing on the TV now at my house where you can watch four football games at once in like four different screens. 
and the game that Graham wanted to watch wasn't on the four screen. So he had that on his computer and like all three of them. I mean, we're, so I'm not like trying to do the, I'm the holy one and you're also whatever. Like we're all in this mix together. But that thing is like, it's this message that Jesus is pointing at 2,000 years ago and he's gonna tell a story about it in a second. This message is everywhere in our culture today, it's this. This message is that you are what you buy. You are what you buy. Maybe a different way of saying it is you are what you can buy. You are the car that you drove into the parking lot, the label on the clothes that you're wearing, the place that you can afford to own a house or go on vacation or this or that or whatever. And then there's like that whole subset of Christians or people that opt out and they kind of define themselves the opposite way. Like uh, they pride themselves on how little they spend or how much they don't enjoy life or how sort of like unhappy they seem all the time. You know, some people define themselves by you are what you don't buy. Each of these are different forms, these mindsets of materialism. The sense that my life, this is what Jesus is saying. Remember, what did Jesus say? He says, take care and be on your guard against covetousness, that desire to have something I don't have, because your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. So I guess the, the question I just, I don't know. Not like this is fun, uh, but I think it's useful and helpful. I just wonder, like, are you willing to ask yourself the question, do I have a problem with money? Am I willing to look at myself and say, have I fallen into some version of this trap? Jesus tells a story. He says uh, this. He says, the, he told them a parable. Uh, this is the next verse in Luke chapter 12. Whenever you see that word parable, you can, like, know this for the rest of your life. That means Jesus made this story up. And he made this story up because he was trying to prove a point. <coughs> Jesus told him a parable and he said, so there was uh, the land of a rich man uh, produced plentifully. So he's a farmer and it was like, holy smokes, a great year. And the farmer thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? Now, it's interesting because Jesus is pointing at a problem, but this doesn't sound like a problem to me. Seems pretty good, right? What, what should I do? I don't have a big enough closet to fit all my shoes into. Oh, man, I saw conviction on a few faces there. What? <laughs> what shall I do for I have more cars than garage space? What shall I do? This is kind of, but I mean, God bless him. He owns land. He produces from the land. Please don't, okay. Thank you. Just in case I lose my voice, I'm sorry. Speaking of materialism, I'm sorry. It's the thing for my throat. I apologize. It's almost too on the nose to be real. As he sipped his Starbucks. Thank you so much, Monica. And I'm going to get to this at the end. But Jesus is not arguing for laziness, 
or that having financial success is wrong. Jesus Christ is not arguing that working hard is problematic. He is not saying anything of that nature, so don't hear it. The rich man, the fact that his land produces plentifully is a good thing, and he has a good problem. It's the end of the year. I have so many crops. What am I going to do with them? It's, uh, I guess what it says to me that's interesting is that the problems that accompany answered prayers and accomplishments, those are particularly tempting problems. Just think about that for a second. Abraham desperately wanted to have a child. And then that child that Abraham and Sarah desperately wanted to have became an idol that was a temptation. Leave that quote up for just a second. Thank you. Do you see it? I'm almost surprised a phone that old can be that loud, Rick. I got to say, that's like, that's quite a ring, my man. No problem. Let's turn that one off. That was twice today, not for that. Uh, I'm not so unaware of the reality of the spiritual realm that we're reaching right now for an idol for a lot of people. And anything that can distract us from not hearing what God wants to say to us is likely to find its way in. The problems accompanying answered prayers and accomplishments are particularly tempting. You want your kids to be successful, and then they start being successful, and it tempts you to swell with a pride that isn't a thankfulness to God, but an impressiveness in yourself. You work so hard to provide for your family and you get just a little bit of wiggling room and then all of a sudden that little bit of wiggling room after these years of working can tempt you to chase after something different than the God who granted you the blessing. It can tempt you to go the wrong way. That's what he's saying. So he's saying, what shall I do? I got nowhere to store these crops. So he said, verse 18, here's my plan. I'll do this. I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I gotta be honest, seems like a reasonable plan. There's a lot of people in this room that are probably smarter than me, but it makes sense to me. If we don't have enough space, we're gonna have to make more space. This is something we're wrestling with as a church. Uh, if you're not here late, at the later service, like a lot of times at the later service, there's nowhere for people to sit or they have to sit, you know, like when you have to sit uncomfortably close and you're kind of like, I don't want to sit that close to that guy. You know, that thing that happens. I see the way y'all look at each other and we're trying to wrestle through sometimes. Like, I don't know, we have this building. God gave it to us, but we're running out of space. What should we do? It's a totally reasonable thing I, to my mind to say, you know, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take the space I have. I'm going to make it bigger. The farmer overcame all the odds of agriculture and achieved success. The problem is not what he says in verse 18. The problem is what he says down there at the bottom. He says, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. His motive is the motive a lot of us struggle not to have in the world today. His motive is a life of ease without complications. The target that he's shooting for is nothing can stop me now. The target he's shooting for is it's time to 
party, be on vacation. I got nothing to worry about. It doesn't matter what happens at the business. It doesn't matter what happens in the stock market. It doesn't happen. I got enough in a pile over here that I can just lay back with a little drink, with an umbrella. I'd spill it. That's not my vibe, but some people I know. And, And I can just sit here and not have to worry anymore because I got enough right here. So many people around us, think about it, their target for their life is how can I accumulate enough so that I don't have to worry anymore? How can I get enough money in the bank so that I can retire and chill and go to Florida and sit in the heat and pretend it's not hot? Ask people to pray for me when the storms come. Like, Did you, I can't believe it. There's a storm coming. Well, it's Florida. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe it. So many people's aim, the thing that they're chasing is how can I get to a life where there's nothing to be worried about anymore? Uh, so Jesus says in the story, verse 20, he says, fool It's the strongest thing that Jesus can call a person. That's a person who has knowledge but no application of the knowledge. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things that you prepared, whose will they be? So in the story, Jesus points to this reality. No matter how much stuff you have in that pile, what if you're gone today? He says, that's the person, verse 21, who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. The foolish person is the person who is so focused on a life of ease here on earth that they lose sight of the life to come in eternity and don't take care of the things that matter the most while they're here. Hmm. It's so easy to get bogged down on this temporary stuff, isn't it? It's so easy to get bogged down on like, I mean, maybe I'd I'd be a little happier if I had that truck that I've been thinking about. I mean, at least a little happier, right? Like at least this much happier. I'd be like at least a little happier if I took that vacation, wouldn't I? Like, you probably would be, is the truth. But you'd be losing sight possibly, of the most significant part of life here on earth is the preparations that we're making for the life to come. The most significant part of why we're here now is not about squeezing all the juice we can out of right now. This is why people who are aging in Christ have joy and people who are aging without Christ are often so miserable. Because the world tells you that life is about being young, maximizing your sexual experiences, having as many crazy fun times as you possibly can, and all of that becomes more challenging as you get older, no matter how much money you pump into your body to pretend that you're not getting older. But those who are rich towards God, their reward is just getting a little closer, a little closer, a little closer, a little closer. There's some older folks here in the congregation, some here, some now, some a lot more come at the second service. And there is something so sweet about knowing I've almost made it through this. The good stuff is still out ahead that completely shifts the way that we think. And so Jesus is saying a foolish person is a person who spends their life trying to build a pile of whatever they probably won't be able to use to the fullest anyway 
instead of investing their time, their energy, their emotions, their resources in what is for Christ and will last. So I want to just go one direction and then another direction. It's important that we understand what this passage isn't teaching. Some of the worst stuff in the world is uh, Christians who grab a Bible and think they know what they're talking about and then start hitting other people with it. So this passage is not teaching that like having more money than you can spend today is wrong. This is not what this is teaching. This isn't teaching don't save. This isn't teaching give all your money to the church. I mean, yeah, give some maybe, but. <laughs> this passage is not teaching that financial success is wrong. This passage is teaching that trusting in my financial success is wrong. Do you see the difference? There are many people who God blesses to have financial significance, and they use that to become rich towards God. They use being earthly rich to become more heavenly rich. That's wonderful in the sight of God. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that the good people are the people who don't have a lot. That's foolishness. Are we clear on that one? Second thing, uh, this passage is not teaching some sort of like politically left monetary policy. I've heard it taught that way before. It's wrong. It's not teaching some sort of like, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're all just going to kind of throw it into a, I'm like, I got this big basket. We're just going to throw it all in here in the middle and then kind of all come and take what we need. It's not teaching some version of like communism or anything like that. Nothing like that. This passage is also not teaching that ambition is inherently wrong. The problem wasn't that he was successful, and the problem wasn't that he wanted to build a bigger barn. The problem was that his motive in doing so was so he'd have a life without complication. His life would be easier. If he would, I think, I mean, Jesus made this story up. But the way Jesus tells the story, I believe that if he said, I'm going to build a bigger barn so that I can work even harder and do even more with what God's given to me, amazing. It's the motive that if I just get to here, then I don't have to trust God anymore. This is, uh, there's echoes in this story. I don't know if, if you're familiar with the Bible. I know some people here are, some people aren't, and that's fine either way. We're happy to learn together. But uh, in the Old Testament, there's this thing where the people of Israel are moving through on like a sojourn or a journey in the era of Moses for 40 years. And the way that that worked was God miraculously provided their food every day on the ground. They would wake up, they would go outside. It's kind of like God acted like a mom for all of Israel for like 40 years. It was like, I don't know, every day there was just more food here. And all God wanted, similar to any good mom, is just to be like noticed every once in a while and to someone to say thank you. But the thing about, it was called manna that was, this, was on the ground every day. The thing about it was they weren't allowed to take more than they needed that day. It would spoil. And so the idea was every day they had to go to bed and say, how are we going to eat tomorrow? Well, because I trust God, he'll provide. And it did something really good inside him. It went like that for, imagine, 40 years. And what he's aiming for in this story is, don't try to get out of the part of your life where you still have to trust God every single day. Don't try to be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get to the part where nothing can stop me now. Like, we're, uh, you know, our church is still new. And every month, we need everybody who's part of the church to do their part so that we have enough resources to keep doing all the stuff we're here in the community. I mean, it's not like 
We're not like running it into the red or something foolish like that. We have great people, deacons, that help us make sure we're wise and we're budgeting. But there's no month where we're like, guys, even if nobody shows and nobody gives and we just kind of like sleep on the couches in the lobby all month, it's going to be completely fine. There's a good thing that happens that says every month we got to trust God to provide for our needs. And the more you become successful in life, the more there's a temptation to stop needing to trust God to get you to the next part. It's a temptation. This is why Jesus said in another story, it's harder for a rich man to make it through the eye of a needle, a camel to make it through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. Why did Jesus say that? Because there is something about earthly success that makes us feel like, ah, maybe, I, ah, you know, God, yeah, but I'm pretty good, you know. It is an incredible temptation. What he's saying here is he's saying you can be rich in possession or power or in experiences or in relationships, but are you rich in relationship to God? Are you storing up what really matters? What's so challenging about that is that's not the stuff that shows up like right away today. The stuff that shows up right away today is, oh my goodness, this picture I took on this vacation, my friends are going to be so jealous. What shows up today is that uh, feeling that something other, like today it was, I posted this little video, my son finished, uh, my oldest, somewhere here, he finished his football season this week, and uh, they had a great season, we had this awesome video, this like couple amazing plays, and I posted it on Instagram because I'm really proud of him, and partly because like I feel like you always forget things. As you get older, it's like, kind of like I just use the internet to help me remember because that's the only thing that never forgets. I don't know, it's confusing. Uh, but I was like thinking about this right outside. Somebody before this morning was like, oh, I watched that thing, your son. Oh my gosh, so cool, so whatever. Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I mean, it does feel good when people say your kids do stuff good, right? It feels great. But that's so small and so temporary and so not lasting. And so there's this intensive temptation for me, are you willing to say for you, to seek after comfort while we're here on this earth as the thing I'm trusting in, not the Jesus who saved me from my sins and is coming back for me someday and needs to be the sustaining thing. Our lives are supposed to work like if we get unplugged from Jesus for a week, something is really, really wrong. And some of us have been like so blessed in life that honestly, we can go along for a while without Jesus and kind of just be okay. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is Jesus talks about money more than any other thing. I don't know if you know that. He talks about money in a lot of his stories because it is perhaps the clearest external window into our interior motivations. The clearest window into who I am on the inside often is what I do with the finances I have on the outside. And so Jesus talks about it a lot because he's like, okay, do you want to like figure out how you're doing for real? What are you spending your money on? Do you want to figure out if like you just kind of like showing up and singing the song and shaking some hands and you never figured out where the donut place was, but you know they got them over at the church, so I'll just kind of roll in there. Do you want to know if it's like real or sort of fake? Do you want to know if you're really leaning in or kind of, here's how you know. You know a lot about someone by the way they, they spend their money. So I wonder um, if you could just think about that for a second, like genuinely. 
I got four questions. I think, how do I think about the money I spend? Do I think of the dollars that make it to my bank account as something that I can use however I want to make me happy? Or do I answer to a king somewhere? It's also important, I think, that we talk about how I think about earning my money. We have a lot of people in the world today that have arrived at some sort of expectation that they deserve to live a comfortable life just because they were born. And it's something that really grates on older people. If you're one of those people, you can start nodding your head to just support me as you see the same things that we, I see. Do I think that like I'm just owed someone to hand me Starbucks while I'm standing on the stage? Or do I live my life like I have to do my part? Working hard is something that honors God. I wonder also, like, how do I think about saving money? Uh, one of my, a great proverb says that a wise man stores up an inheritance for his children's children. That's in the Bible, too. Am I one of those people that's trying so hard to keep up with the rat race or whatever that it's just like every dollar out, out, out. For sure, how do I think about giving? There's so many things that you can get involved in to help make the world a better place. I would suggest to you that uh, the church is the one that you find in the Bible. That's not why I'm preaching this message today, but it is certainly part of it. And I've seen it over and over and over and over. Uh, generous people are the happiest people. I don't know what to tell you. I don't have like a verse that says that. I'm just telling you, I've seen it. People who hoard are not happy because it's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. But people who are generous with what God gives them, there's just an ease about living life when you're like, oh, God, God is going to figure it out. And so I, uh, I know there's a level of, I guess like somberness, because this is a, something that hits at a lot of us in various ways, self-included. But I don't want you to hear me. I'm not like trying to condemn you into taking some step of action today that's going to make me happy. I'm telling you that people that are chasing after earthly happiness through financial success almost never reach it. And people who invest their time and their energy and their emotion and their whatever they have in the kingdom of God, in living God's way, they find joy in a way that's different. I don't know, I just... I think that God wants to set some people free from that materialism thing. That sense that you have, like sometimes, like I'd be happy if I just lived in that neighborhood. You wouldn't, honestly, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be happier. For like a week you would be, and then you'd say I'd be happier if I just had the furniture. And then if I just had the right cabinet that I saw on some TV show that I watched that was only making me envy more. And then I, it would just be, if I just could have like the right car to put in the driveway, if just the garage was a little bigger, if just my kids were a little nicer, if I just had a better husband, then I would be happy. It's like that thing that you can just keep going through life thinking and making yourself miserable chasing something that you're never going to reach. And I wonder, could we just take God's word at its, just at its value? Jesus says, so when Jesus is speaking, this is 2,000 years, we're almost done now. When Jesus is speaking here 2,000 years ago, he's speaking as the God who made the universe, 
who understands it better than any of us could ever understand it. And he says, your life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. Your happiness is not tied to how much stuff you have. I just wonder like what would happen in your life if you believed him? If you believed him, that your life isn't gonna be happy if you had more stuff, worth a shot, right? Let's pray together and then we're gonna sing a little. Lord, I, um, we're touching at something very serious for a lot of people today. And uh, I just wanna pray that you would let whatever imperfection of the messenger or the way the message is presented wash away and that what you wanna say to us from your word today would come through in strength. Lord, you came, you said, Jesus, that you came to give life and to give it abundantly. And so often we think the abundant life that I want is gonna be when I have more stuff. Could you just tear whatever idols you need to tear out? Make it so obvious in our eyes that we have no choice but to shift the behavior that we're. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing a little bit before we go. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.